Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and open to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking together at God's Word. My message this morning is, what are you waiting for? We was down here uh, before the service started this morning, and they were getting ready to put the message up for the screen, and he asked me what the title of my message was, and so I paused for a moment, and I opened my Bible, and I said, what are you waiting for? And he said, uh, the title of the message. So uh, it is kind of confusing, but we're, we're looking at the idea of anticipation. Have you, uh, I think most of us in the room today can remember the, the commercial about the Heinz ketchup, and uh, it would always say uh, the anticipation, making us wait, you know. Well, nobody waits for much of anything anymore, do they? We're in a very fast-paced world in which we don't want to wait. Waiting is very, very uh, exhausting for our society today and for those of us who try to do anything in and around the world that we live in. And so when we think about waiting and thinking about the Christmas Day coming, it's, it's, it's kind of hard, especially hard on children. You know, all of a sudden, you know, the first, right after Thanksgiving, and by the way, it's supposed to be right after Thanksgiving, you start putting up decorations for, you know, well, of, of course, you know, we live in a generation in which the only people who celebrate Thanksgiving are grocery stores, but but we go right to Christmas in October. But really, if you wait, even if you wait until after Thanksgiving to put up your Christmas lights and your Christmas trees, you got children, got children or grandchildren around you, you know that it begins to be very difficult for them to anticipate that day arriving. It just seems like those next few days are going to last forever. Ever, I was coming out of the 11 o'clock service uh, in the church that I pastored in South Carolina. And there were two little boys. They were little brothers, Hayden and, uh, and Brantley. And I asked Brantley, who was uh, about four years of age, I said, Brantley, are you being honry or are you being good? And his brother, who was five, just about to turn six, Hayden, looked up at me and he said, I, I, I'm being good. But that's just because it's Christmas. Well, you know, uh, it seemed like forever that he was going to have to be good, for goodness sake. And so it just was cumbersome. Uh, and children aren't the only ones who have a hard time waiting, though, are they? I mean, uh, even though they see a few presents under the tree and they anticipate more presents arriving, it, it's it's hard to wait. But, but parents are... are um, well, we're not much different, are we, parents and grandparents? Um, you ever gotten impatient with somebody who didn't go right when the light turned green? Well, if you haven't, I have. I, you, you sit there and you think, put your phone down. My wife says, they can't hear you. I said, no, but it just feels good saying it, doesn't it, sometimes? Somebody, look up, drive, you know, impatience. Patience is a very, very difficult thing, especially around Christmas. You'd think that we would all get a little more, um, I guess, uh, well, I guess we'd just get a little more compassionate, shouldn't we? I mean, it's Christmas, but <laughs> if you've been shopping... You know that um, people are not real compassionate uh, and patient in anticipation of, of Christmas. They, they're just, they're on task. 
They want to get it and get it now. A good friend of mine uh, was uh, in Mesquite, Texas, and his wife needed something at, that she could only get at the dealers at their mall store. And so as frustrated as he was, he decided that he would just drive her up there, let her out at the door because he didn't want to have her walk a mile and a half from the parking lot into the store just to get one little item at the cosmetic counter. And so he pulled up to the door and he let her out. And as he turned the corner, he saw a car two in, just right by the door, saw it backing out and cars had been lined up trying to, and so he was going to be right there. He was going to get that parking spot two spots from the door where he had let his wife out. He was so excited. And as he waited for that car to back out, he saw a lady about three cars stacked up on the other, on the other side, jump out of the passenger side of her car, run around And she ran, and she stood, walking with that car that was backing up, stood at the front of that car until it pulled off. And now she's standing there in that parking spot like this. Her husband is three or four cars back on the other aisle. And Phil started to turn in, and she says, No, 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 no. This is my spot. This is my husband's spot. His car, he's coming. I said, Phil, what did you do? Because you know what? You know, I, I haven't always been a minister. There is a part of me that said I would have just nudged her back until she got the message that I'm parking here, right? He said, well, I just smiled and, and, um, and I pulled on. He said, but the next car wasn't so patient. Well, anticipation, waiting, and waiting for things. It's, it's, it's difficult to do. But the anticipation, the wait for the coming Messiah was a long time in coming. We know that all scripture points us to Jesus. And so prophecies in the Old Testament began to reveal to us that there was a Savior. We read from Isaiah this morning. Isaiah, some 730 years earlier, was talking to us about how a Messiah would come and a virgin would give birth to a son and that we would call him Emmanuel. And so I want us to look. I want us to look at this story of anticipation, this story of waiting for the coming of the Messiah from the perspective of two individuals that don't make it into our nativity scenes. I don't know why they don't make it into our nativity scenes. They, they should. I mean, after all, they were there before the wise men. The wise men are two years out, right, at best. And, and, and yet Anna and Simeon are right there eight to 15 days after the birth of Jesus. But they're not there. And so we oftentimes overlook them, but I think that they have something really important to show us uh, about what it means to anticipate the coming of the Messiah. And they, they show up in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. So look there with me as we read the beginnings of how God put on their heart that the Messiah was on his way. There was a man... In Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon, 
This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. As you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And the sword will pierce your own side and, the, and that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after their marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day and fasting and prayers. And at every moment she came up and began to thank God and speak of him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we pray that as we anticipate Jesus in our lives, as we anticipate the return of Christ to our world in that second coming, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would help us to see from the message of Simeon and Anna, Father, what your Spirit was doing in our world to bring us to the place where we could know you as Savior, that we might have an intimate presence with you, and Father, that our relationship with you would be restored. I pray, Father, that you will help us to to see that and to reveal that to uh, to those who haven't yet seen it. And I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would now encourage us in this in these words. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. And when we look at this, we see that Simeon was waiting for Israel's consolation. We sang that in the hymn that we started with, the long-awaited Jesus. We, we talk about a consolation. Consolation is not something that we oftentimes think about, but Simeon was a man that understood what that was. He knew that there needed to be some comfort that would come. And so he was uh, probably around 80 years of age. He had to have been at least in his 80s. Now, we don't know that from the scripture, but extra biblical information would tell us that that he is probably in his 80s. And that means that, um, and, and along with that, just about all the scholars believe that that's probably his age frame. But, but the important part of that is that he had lived life long enough that he had seen some things that troubled him and he had had some experiences that brought joy to his life but at the same time he had experiences that caused him to be discomforted he had those experiences where he had had some uncertainties and he had had some experiences where he had had some brokenness of his heart 
as he looked at what was taking place in the world around him, as he saw people who had disappointed him, as he had experiences that did not live up to their anticipation. And he looked back upon that. And while there were things to rejoice about, there were also things that caused him great sorrow. Of course, if he was in that age frame, he would definitely have been able to see some things that were coming about in his day. He, he, he would pray for that consolation. The Bible says that he was alert, that he was looking forward to the consolation. This, this idea of looking forward is the idea of being alert, being attentive to, being expectant of something immediate about to happen. This, this is not just a passive waiting that he was doing. He wasn't just sitting in his recliner watching uh, whatever football might be on this afternoon. He, he was actually anticipating that at any moment God was going to fulfill the promise that he had made to him. And he was looking forward to that because he had great sorrow in his heart. He had seen some major loss. What was the loss that he would have seen? Well, a man in his 80s in that time frame in Israel, they would have seen when Pompey came in with his generals, with his Roman generals, and when they conquered Jerusalem. It, it would be amazing for us not to think that those who were righteous, those who had a love and a passion for the things of God, would not be brokenhearted at this time because there was a three month bloody siege upon the temple grounds itself. And then not only that, but the priests were, were put to death and the Holy of Holies was was entered into and torn down. And, and so for Israel, it was the loss of their place of worship. It was the loss of their, of their priests who would lead them in worship. But more importantly, with the Holy of Holies torn apart, it meant that the presence of God was no longer there with them. And so the heartache that would come knowing that God now is not present with them, that he is distanced from them, and their heart was broken in this way. And so he could not be comforted by Things could not be comforted by gadgets, could not be comforted by presence. He, he was looking for the presence of a holy God. And so he was waiting and anticipating the, the coming of the Savior who would be the one who would restore for Israel their, their relationship with the Father. The consolation It's the idea of comfort. It was the need that he had to be comforted. But it wasn't just for the Israelites. It was for also the Gentiles. We see in the passage that it says that he was looking for the consolation, not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles. It was going to be revealed to all people that God wanted to be present in their life. When we think about Christmas... And we think about Emmanuel, God with us. We, we ought to be thinking about the fact that the primary, the primary thing that, that Christmas does is it gives us opportunity to be in the presence of the Most High, to have fellowship and have relationship with God Himself. Without God coming to us, we would never be able to aspire to reach to Him. He had to reach down to us because we were incapable of reaching up to his glory. 
And so it was that, that this man in his 80s would long for the coming of the Messiah who would restore the presence of God in the life of all peoples, Gentiles and Jews. Now Anna, on the other hand, was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption means the action of regaining possession of something uh, in exchange for a pavement uh, or a clearing of a debt. The scripture says that she was crying for the redemption. She, she understood that, that there was personal loss. She, she had experienced personal loss. There, there's, no, there's no woman that, that is a widow that doesn't understand what personal loss is. She had, she had that loss in her own personal life, but then she also saw the loss that came corporately to the, to the Jewish people. And, and so she understood that, that there was no way for the, for the Jewish nation to, to rise up under the tyranny of the Romans. There was, there was no amount of strength. There was no army to be built. There was no capability in the, in the power of, of the Jew to, to rise above what the Romans had come to push down upon them. And so if they were going to find any peace, if they were going to find any comfort, if they were going to have any victories, it was going to have to come from God himself. God was going to have to come and was going to have to deliver them, was going to have to redeem them unto himself. Verse 38 shows that she was, she too was filled with anticipation as she waited the time Instead of just being alert, it, it, this time it means being ready to receive. She was ready to accept what God was providing. I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people today who are going to celebrate Christmas. There are a lot of people who know the Christmas story inside and out. They know about the angels singing. They know about the shepherds coming. They know about there being no room in the end. They know that Mary was a virgin. They know that Joseph was, was not the father, but the, the, the one who would marry and raise uh, Mary and, and, and the children. It, they, they know all of that story. Some of them may even go as far as believing that, that there was a virgin birth. They understand. All around the world, people will celebrate Christmas, the coming of the Messiah, without being ready to receive the message of what it means. Now, I want you to hear something, and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a part of me that sings joy to the world. And there's a part of me that weeps before a holy God at the Christmas season. I found myself in tears as I drove in this morning. As I thought about the people in my own family who have not received the gift that Jesus came to deliver. And they're celebrating Christmas with all the trappings of celebration. 
But what, they're, what they don't realize is they're actually participating in a celebration of something that is their condemnation. You know what I mean? The fact that Jesus came, the fact that Jesus brought to us the presence of a holy God, if we reject that, Christmas is not something to celebrate. If you're not going to receive the gift, by all means, you don't want to celebrate that Jesus came, that Jesus died and that he rose and that he purchased a place in heaven that he offered you as a free gift. You don't want to celebrate if you're not going to receive that. Because it is that very thing that will seal your fate in the end. Mary, Mary, she was ready to receive. I, I, I hope that you today are ready to receive that which Jesus has come to give. So the question remains, what, what are we waiting for? What is it that we are anticipating? What is it that Simeon and Anna knew that we ought to begin to understand in our own life. Well, first of all, Simeon wanted comfort from his sorrow. I wept. I told you, I'm a weenie baby sissy pansy. I'm just going to, I'll just go confess right now. I, I, I have been known to cry at commercials. Anybody else with me? I'm sorry. It's a, it's, you know, it, it's just, it's, I don't know. But I will tell you this. I was driving in. Last year, my dad passed away at 84 years of age. My mom passed away when I was a teenager. I was thinking about my mom and some of the Christmases that we had. And then I was thinking about the Christmases with my dad. And you know what? I had some tears in my eyes. That led me to think about some family members that have not yet come to know Christ. And that brought almost snot crying. It was bad. You're glad you didn't ride with me, and I'm glad my wife decided that it was too early to come with me this morning. But it was a, it was a time where joy and sorrow kind of overcame me at, all, at one time. But, but you know what was... You know what was peaceful in that? I had Emmanuel with me. God is with us. He, he, he was there. He comforted my, my sorrow. He, he, he came near and his presence soothed my, my sorrow. Simeon, he, he was... Filled with the comfort that, that Christ comes to give. Anna wanted the redemption. She wanted, she wanted the Savior. She wanted the Messiah. She, she labored in the church day and night. She, she was there constantly anticipating the coming of the Savior. Simeon was reminded that, that Emmanuel the Savior is for the Jew and for the Gentile. And that it would involve suffering on the part of Jesus. It said that 
the side would be pierced. Isaiah 53 explains to us that Jesus will be pierced through for what reason? Our transgression. Last night, my uh, daughter and son-in-law and their two little girls came to our house and my two boys came to our house and we had dinner and they decided that they wanted to go look at Christmas lights. And I decided that I wanted to sit at home. I had a good reason. I wanted to sit at home because I have a new, just weeks old, granddaughter. And so I sat in my recliner holding that little girl, rocking her and just looking at her while she just slept. They were gone. It was quiet. I had some Christmas, Christian Christmas music playing. I, don't, I guess all I guess all Christmas music really is Christian, isn't it? And so it was it was it was playing, and and I was looking at that baby, the innocence. Oh my goodness! That that baby wasn't nearly as innocent as the Son of God, and yet. We understand that innocence doesn't doesn't deserve to suffer. The innocent don't deserve to suffer. But God, in the person of His Son, completely innocent, took our sufferings upon Himself. Pierced, scourged, becomes the guilt offering for our sin. He did all of that because he wanted to justify us, make us right with him. To make us right again with him. The presence of God that had been taken away, just like Simeon thought that because the Holy of Holies had been torn, that the presence of God had separated. We, we actually know that the presence of God leaves us when we live in sin. And we are separated from God. And that separation causes a great chasm between us and Him. And we can't cross that chasm on our own, can we? No, that chasm is too wide and too deep and too expansive. And our our sin separates us. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we stand on one side of that great chasm, as the scripture would say, and we're standing there holding our sin, that, that which we have willingly and wantonly done that has separated us from God. We're holding our sin, but not just our sin. We're holding the wage of our sin. What is the wage of our sin? The wage of our sin is the separation from God. We, we know what a wage is. A wage is something that we earn and that we deserve. And so we're holding what we deserve in our hand for the wages of sin and separates us from God. 
And God's on the other side. God has a gift. That gift is His presence. That gift is eternal life. That gift is the reason for the season that we celebrate. And he, he wants us to have that gift. But we can't get to God. So God, in the person of Jesus, bridges that gap. He reached out to man with one hand. And he reached out to the Father in the other hand. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Jesus becomes the bridge by which we pass through into the presence Oh, holy God. I hope that this Christmas season, that you find your comfort in Christ. I hope that in this Christmas season, that you find the Redeemer to be true in your life. I pray that if you have never received the gift of eternal life in just a moment when the invitation is given, you will come and allow your staff to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus and to live for him and to have him present with you forever, all eternity. And then I also pray this. I pray that you don't lose the story of Christmas in the celebration of Santa Claus and Rudolph and Frosty. I pray that you will spend time as a believer telling the real story of Christmas to your family, to your friends, to your work associates that you gather with so that this Christmas we might receive the joy and they might receive the joy of knowing why Jesus come. Your staff is going to come. We're going to stand. We're going to invite you to respond to a holy God. Some will want to come and respond in public. Others will just want to say, God, help me to be faithful with your message as I celebrate Christmas with friends, family, and work associates this year. Let's stand as we pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would draw those who don't know you unto yourself. And I pray, Father, for every believer in this room that you will give us a renewed desire and commitment to making you known in our celebration of Christmas. In Christ's name I pray.